And Father, slowly, even reluctantly, we open to you the dark places. We confess, O Lord, that there are deep shadows within us, shadows of selfishness and greed, shadows that gleefully seek revenge, shadows that lash out to hurt even those whom we would love the most, shadows that call us not to care about the pain and hunger of the rest of the world as long as we are safe, full, and successful. Shadows that ignore the disenfranchised and those who are lonely living all around us. Forgive us, O Lord, and teach us how to pray for one another and even more so, how to love one another. God, help us to seek you with all of our hearts, to love you with all of our minds, to follow you not just for one hour a week, but for all of the hours of all of our days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Well, I have the wonderful opportunity to introduce our guest speaker this morning, Dr. Glenn Jonas. He is no stranger to Oakmont. He preached here um, this past summer and also multiple other times um, when we have called upon him. I have a few fun facts. Who likes fun facts? All right, I got some fun facts. Dr. Jonas is the Associate Dean uh, to the College of Arts and Sciences at Campbell University. He was also my academic advisor advisor and was my professor for several classes. Um, I wish he was my professor now, so this would help me get a better grade, but I don't have him anymore, so it doesn't work. Maybe you can talk to the Divinity School, give me some better grades. Um, he is a published author, um, writing several books. Um, his specialty is church history. He led a Reformation class at VBS here a few years ago. Again, wonderful class. That's my Campbell plug. Anybody interested in going to Campbell? Take your Dr. Jonas class. He served as interim pastor for several churches in the North Carolina area, and also including the memorial right down the road. Uh, when he is not preaching, he loves to play guitar, and he occasionally leads worship at his home church in Bowie's Creek. And probably the biggest fact of all that everyone should know is Dr. Jonas is a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Just the sheer mention of his name got me an A in one of my classes. So that is not a joke. That is a true story. So... He would, he'll even throw in a question on a test, say, who's the greatest singer of all time? If you don't choose Bruce Springsteen, get out of the class. So, um, but yes, he's a wonderful speaker, and I'm glad to have him here. <laughs> I'm not putting this on. <laughs> That's... Uh... I, I don't know that I've ever been introduced like this. <laughs> Wrestling music and everything. I, I, uh, uh, it's always a treat to come to Oakmont. And uh, uh, thank you, Ben, for that, for that introduction. Uh, yes, I am a Bruce Springsteen fan, and Bruce Springsteen will not be in this sermon. 
But uh, uh, believe it or not, I'm actually teaching a class next spring at Campbell on the theology of Bruce Springsteen's music. And uh, uh, it's going to be a one-hour elective class. I'm really looking forward to that. And so uh, I'll be glad to talk to any of you after the worship service about what that will entail if, uh, if you're interested. Um, Speaking of wrestling, uh, my and, and again, I'm not going to put this on, but it's a good segue into the uh, into the sermon. My my grandmother Jonas was a huge professional wrestling fan. She died when she was 81, and I remember being a little boy, and uh, she she was my babysitter when I was when I was little. And if my parents went somewhere on a Saturday evening. I stayed with Grandmother Jonas, and we lived in the Charlotte area. I, I grew up in, uh, for the first few years of my life in Kings Mountain, and um, uh, on, on Saturday afternoons, WBTV had professional wrestling, and I can still remember uh, George Becker and Johnny Weaver. Those were the two. Somebody's pointing thumbs up. They remember. Okay, you remember those names. George Becker and Johnny Weaver were the good guys. And J.C. Dykes and the Infernos. Do you remember J.C. Dykes and the Infernos? The Infernos wore masks like this, as I recall. And you never knew who they were. And they were very ominous looking. And, and, uh, and, and the rivalry between uh, uh, those, those wrestlers was always something that was fascinating. And they'd go into the ring. And my grandmother was convinced that it was real. And, and she, would get, she would get so angry at, at uh, some of these wrestlers and what they would do and, and the antics and so forth. And so, so wrestling is what I want us to uh, think about this morning as we read this text from Genesis chapter 32, beginning with verse 22, and then I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Genesis chapter 32. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, The Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. Would you join me, please, in a moment of prayer? 
Oh God, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart might be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There's an old Jewish proverb that says, when a person has a clear conscience, everyone fears him, but when a person has a guilty conscience, he fears everyone else. In the text that I just read from this uh, uh, from the book of Genesis, from chapter 32, we have a story about Jacob, the grandson of the great Abraham. Most of you would probably remember the hit television series from the 1980s called Dallas. And you remember that Larry Hagman played this horrible character named J.R. Ewing. J.R. would cheat, he would steal, he would do anything else that he needed to do in order to win and in order to get ahead of whoever, whomever his opponent was, especially when it came to his younger brother, Bobby. Jacob could be called the J.R. Ewing of the Old Testament. Here are just a few things that Jacob did in the chapter leading up to this all-night wrestling experience that he had. He stole his brother's inheritance. He took advantage of his father's blindness and tricked his father into giving him the family blessing. And he was the younger son, and he was not entitled to receive the family blessing. He spent 21 years siphoning off his father-in-law's wealth only to abandon the poor man in the end. He had 12 sons and an unknown number of daughters by four different women, and he kept them all together in what one interpreter called a fractious, quarrelsome household, unquote. By the time we get to chapter 32 in Genesis, Jacob's craftiness and his cunning had just about caught up with him. Back when Esau came home from hunting and discovered that Jacob had stolen his blessing, he vowed to kill Jacob as soon as their father Isaac was dead. This motivated Jacob, uh, motivated Jacob's mother, Rebekah, to get him to move to Haran and live among her family where he could be assured of safety. And for more than 20 years, Jacob lived with Laban, his father-in-law, Fourteen of those years he spent laboring without any pay in order, to, in order for the right to marry Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah. Jacob and Laban were actually very much alike if you read the Old Testament closely. So much alike that neither one of them liked each other. They were both competitive in their business dealings. Uh, Jacob usually managed to come out on top of Laban. Also within his own family with his two wives, there was constant turmoil as the wives both competed for his affection and attention. At one point, the bitterness between Jacob and Laban became so critical that Jacob's life was once again in danger. Eventually, the two men reached a truce and they went their separate ways. Meanwhile, Esau, Jacob's older brother, was about to catch up with him. While Jacob had always been able to come out on top of whatever situation he seemed to find himself in, this time might be different. Jacob's travels had taken him across the land of Gilead where his brother Esau had settled. It had been more more than 20 years since Jacob had stolen his brother's blessing. 
but he remembered Esau's vow to kill him someday. Jacob had run out of places to hide. He had run out of tricks and schemes. He was about to face his brother Esau. So he sent out emissaries to Esau to soften his brother up a bit. They returned with terrifying news. Esau was coming toward Jacob, and he was going to be accompanied by 400 men. Upon hearing this, Jacob tried a couple of different schemes. The first thing he did was he divided his household into two traveling groups with the intent that if Esau's army fell upon one group and destroyed it, the other group could escape. The second thing he did was he sent a large gift of livestock to Esau as a peace offering. And then finally, he divided the gift of the livestock into smaller groups, leaving space between them so that Esau might think that the number was larger than it really was. And he sent everyone across the Jabbok River and remained alone on the other side, probably thinking that if they were all attacked the next day, he could escape off into the wilderness alone. He then decided that it was time to get some sleep. Now, here's what puzzles me about Jacob. Jacob was a slime ball, and that's putting it mildly. As I said, he was the, the, the J.R. Ewing of the Old Testament. And yet, in the midst of all his scheming and his trickery between the chicanery, Jacob, somehow or another, found God's favor. And that troubles me because it's not supposed to work like that, is it? How could God bless a character such as Jacob? You know the old questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? And then the reverse of that, why do good things happen to bad people? Jacob personified the latter question. Why do good things happen to bad people like Jacob. And how do we know that he found God's favor? Well, the answer to that lies in two experiences that Jacob had at nighttime by himself. The first was a dream that he had had earlier at Bethel in chapter 28, four chapters before this one. It was the dream of the ladder with the angels ascending and descending. You've You've heard the old uh, folk hymn, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. It's from that story. And in the dream, Jacob saw the Lord standing above the stairway. And Jacob received from him the same blessing that his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham had received. It was also a promise that God would be with Jacob and would protect him. This dream and this promise was before the experience that he had had with his mother's brother Laban. Certainly Jacob was not spiritually mature. But what we can learn from this is that God was not finished with Jacob. Jacob was a work in progress. Jacob was not going to become Israel until he had been to Haran and back. He still had a lot of years of discipline, chastisement, and purification by affliction to go, so says one commentator. The other experience that occurred, to Jacob, that, that occurred with Jacob during the night is the story that we read in chapter 32. 
This is a mysterious passage of Scripture. But it was the turning point in Jacob's life. It was the most dramatic moment in his life. Verse 24 indicates that a mysterious visitor, and we would love to know who this was, but a mysterious visitor came to him and was simply described as a man. And he wrestled with Jacob all night long until morning. They were evenly matched and their wrestling was going to end in a draw, but Jacob was finally disabled by a blow which dislocated his hip. And despite the injury, Jacob refused to let go of the stranger until he had been blessed. The blessing came in the change of names. His name was changed from Jacob, which is a word in Hebrew that means trickster, to the name Israel, which means one who strives or wrestles with God. By all accounts, this experience of wrestling with this stranger changed Jacob forever. And the name change, of course, reflects that. Jacob emerged from this evening's wrestling with God with a permanent disability, and his spirit was broken as well. But this moment of, fa- uh, this moment of failure actually proved to be the greatest moment of his life. God gave him a disability, but God gave him a transformed faith as well. As Jacob limped off to meet his brother the next morning, even Esau sensed that something was different. And surprisingly, Esau ran and he embraced his brother that he had not seen for several decades and he kissed him in forgiveness. Jacob was a man that was always running from something. He was running from Esau, he was running from Laban, or later the famine in Canaan. As he came to the end of his life, he made a confession to Pharaoh down in Egypt. And you know the story, Joseph ends up bringing Jacob and and the family down to Egypt at the end of Genesis. He makes a confession to Pharaoh at the end of his life. He says, Few and hard have been the years of my life. Few and hard have been the years of my life. Jacob learned in his life, through all of the turmoil, through all of the wrestling with his brother and with his father-in-law and with circumstances that he faced in life, that the way of spiritual victory is the way of surrender. Striving or wrestling with God is part of the human experience. There's an anonymous poem that I found that reads like this. I sought my soul, but my soul I could not see. I sought my God, but my God eluded me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. We see stories of people who encounter God and and change their lives in a number of different places in the Bible. The most famous is perhaps the Apostle Paul, the persecutor of Christians, the rising star among the Jews. He was the fair-haired boy, the young Pharisee climbing his way to the top of the ladder, only to be stricken blind on the road to Damascus 
by a vision of the risen Christ. And this experience changed Paul's life forever. The persecutor became one of those whom he had persecuted. Or you all know the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. We all sang that story in Sunday school or Bible school. But his fellow Jewish peasants hated him because he was a tax collector. He ingratiated himself off of the backs of his hard-working Jewish friends and neighbors. But something about Jesus attracted him. And after a visit from Jesus, after an encounter from the Lord, Zacchaeus became a changed man. He became a totally different person. Who can forget Ebenezer Scrooge? Bah humbug was his response to the joy of Christmas that everyone else around him celebrated. He didn't care anything about Christmas. All he cared about was his money. All he cared about was himself. He didn't even care about Bob Cratchit's family or his small little disabled boy named Tiny Tim. Humbug, he said when confronted with the reality that Tiny Tim cannot receive medical treatment because Scrooge didn't pay Bob Cratchit enough of a wage. But after a horrifying visit in the night from the ghost of his business partner, Jacob Marley, who had been dead for seven years, and then subsequent visits by the ghost of Christmas's past, present, and future, Scrooge awakened the next morning with an entirely new outlook on life. And his life changed forever. Wrestling with God can change your life. We wrestle with God when we come to grips with our sin. We wrestle with God when we come to grips with the fact that we can't tackle life's problems on our own. We need help. Life and its problems leave us weary. We wrestle with God when we try to take matters into our own hands and when we try to fool ourselves or fool others into believing that we are something other than what we really are. And in those moments, God comes to us and reminds us that with Him, we can become Israel. One who has striven with God. With God's grace and forgiveness, with God's presence in our lives, we too, after that night of wrestling, can be changed. Saul the Pharisee became Paul the Apostle. Zacchaeus the tax collector became Zacchaeus, a man of great generosity. Ebenezer, bah humbug Scrooge, became Merry Christmas Scrooge. And by the grace of God, we too can be changed. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Oh God, we confess that there are times that we strive with others. We strive with life's problems and we wrestle with you. During these times of wrestling, 
Help us, Lord, to know that through your grace and through your mercy and through the work of your Son, Jesus, we indeed can be changed. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.